Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready to get blitzed on the Blitz Podcast at thehuddle.com with your host, Steve Gallo, and co-host, Jake Richmond and Harley Schultz. Welcome back for another episode of the Blitz Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gallo, and I, of course, am joined by my trusty sidekick and co-host, Harley Schultz. Harley, how's it going tonight? You know, I'm feeling pretty good today, despite uh, getting pile drove uh, last week by uh, EY. My body is uh, fully healing up, and I'm proud to say that uh, I will be able to return to the championship hunt uh, in time for the season to start. Uh, at least he didn't give you a karate chop to the throat. We need your throat. So, um, I got to tell you that you say the season it's getting exciting. We've got one more Sunday without real football, um, and I say that because it's the fourth preseason game. So, well, it really isn't real football this week at all, anyways, because what you're going to see on the field this week is a lot of guys basically fighting for last man on the uh, roster spot jobs. I mean, there'll be a few camp competitions that uh, are still up in the air a little bit, but uh, for the most part, most coaches have their 53-man rosters set already, and this might be like the the challenge to see who might get plucked off of someone's practice squad week two or week three if one of these youngsters performs well in uh, this fourth-week uh, preseason game. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think that most teams know what they have going into the preseason. And it means more to the fans, or we like to think that the camp battles mean more than what they, they actually do. But I think the percentage that's decided in camp is pretty small, honestly. Um, I think what camp is good for is there's a difference between college and the pros. There's a difference between college and preseason to regular season. And what preseason does is I think it gets people, because in practice you can only replicate hits and speed, game speed so much, that that's what it does for those guys that have roster spots locked up. Gives them a chance to get used to the game speed, get some, get some actual hits giving and getting, and get them set. And that's why they, they want to minimize the risk of injury, but that's why you still get them out there. I, just, I think we put a little bit too much into the a number of camp battles that we think are going on which we'll touch on those a little bit later but that's my take on it i totally agree well good you know what i agree that we should do something else right now you know what's that 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 we should throw it to you for this week's blitzed podcast news thank you steve tony romo will miss at least the first six weeks of the 2016 season after sustaining a fractured vertebrae in his back. This shouldn't be a huge surprise, as Romo has been on the Cowboys injury report 
for the better part of this decade. <laughs> Fans burned Colin Kaepernick's jersey following his decision to not stand during the national anthem. The outspoken quarterback, who received one of the worst contracts in the history of professional football a couple seasons ago, is protesting racial issues with his refusal to stand. Despite his actions, Chip Kelly still intends to play him extensively in next week's preseason finale. What he didn't tell Kaepernick was that his offensive line would be comprised of 4th and 5th graders. <laughs> Several others have come out in support of Kaepernick's actions, claiming that what he did was in response to what he saw as an offense against people of color. This is a fair point, as our country has been very racially divided in recent years. That said, Colin has succeeded in bringing together all of America in that everyone can agree upon that Colin Kaepernick's performance on the field has been the most offensive thing of all. <laughs> Kendall Wright re-injured his hamstring this weekend, putting him further behind Tajay Sharp, Richard Matthews, and Andre Johnson for wide receiver reps with the Titans. My initial response to this was, Kendall Wright is still in the league? <laughs> with Trevor Simeon being named the Broncos' opening day starter, Denver has begun the process of trying to trade Mark Sanchez. Several teams could use a veteran signal caller, including the Romo-less Cowboys. However, Jerry Jones wants his team to win, so I'm pretty certain that they wouldn't give up anything of value for a bum that couldn't beat out something called Trevor Simeon. And finally, Joey Bosa and the San Diego Chargers finally ended their stalemate today when Bosa signed a four-year, $26 million contract. The contract impasse between these two sides was notable because rookies are now issued contracts based on their draft position and their salaries are basically predetermined. This, of course, brings up the obvious point that only a management team as dysfunctional as San Diego's could manage to end up caving on demands to a player with no negotiating power. This has been your BPN News Update with Harley Schultz. I think we should try and get somebody to negotiate with them for us for, for whatever we want. Well, you know, if that's the case, then uh, I'll be getting caviar and sushi every broadcast, right? Yeah, there you go. Uh, I don't... Fresh flown in from San Diego, even. Yeah, he got seventeen million guaranteed or something like that. Exactly. I, I think that's like the largest. I don't know. If, I, I, I thought I heard him say that it was the largest guarantee any Chargers player has ever gotten. But that, that sounds. I, was, I just I thought it sounded low. I was going to say definitely would be percentage wise, but he he did have offset language in there which he didn't want. The Chargers got that, but I think at the end of the day, for a guy that's pretty much a lost cause for two thousand sixteen. 17 large ones in his pocket. Well, he's been keeping himself uh, in good working shape, I guess, on the outside looking in. But uh, how quickly do you think a player of Bosa's skill set can acclimate himself to the team, you know, get in there and actually make an impact? Uh, again, he's got the physical tools, I think, but I mean, playing a position like defensive end in the National Football League, that's not something you can just come in off the street and do. No, and actually I think people don't realize this, but DE is one of the positions that takes a little bit longer for players to get. And 
that's why a lot of times you'll see players that don't break out until their second or even third year sometimes. Um, so I won't be shocked if we see very little from Mr. Bosa this season. Now, if you're in an IDP league, then where do, uh, where do you look at Bosa from a draft standpoint? You don't. He's in a 3-4. It's not a defense that's going to showcase him the way that, say, um, J.J. Watt is with the fronts that Romeo uses. So, no, he had very little value anyway when he came in as a 3-4 DE, even less that he's going to pretty much be punting this year as far as I'm concerned. Well, you mentioned J.J. Watt. That's another question mark for our IDP listeners is uh, what, uh, what sort of role does he uh, have in terms of like draft position and uh, auction price uh, this year, seeing as how there's some question mark about whether or not he'll be ready to start the season? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, you know, J.J. Watt is and has been the top defensive end in fantasy IDP you know, realm for God knows how long, basically. And we saw it in the past with guys like Priest Holmes and LaDainian Tomlinson's, and the Sean Alexanders, and the Marshall Falks. They are the top of the top, the creme de la creme. You don't think they're going to fall off, but then it happens, right? Yes. Well, Watt had so many injuries that he fought through last year. He's still being drafted overall as the top IDP defensive end. And I, I just, as much as I like him, I can't do that with him this year. And I actually have... Khalil Mack, who now has been listed as a defensive end, as my number one defensive end in fantasy IDP um, stuff this year. That shouldn't seem fair that he gets to qualify at the end in a uh, in IDP format. I mean, he's, he's already uh, one of the top linebacker eligible guys, but now to have him well, be eligible at DE too. Uh, well, what happens is for people that don't know at my fantasy league, which is what we usually refer to when we talk about designations is that those designations are based on the depth charts at Roto world and Roto world watches these situations closely and monitors how many snaps he had with his hand in the dirt as a stand up linebacker, how many times they're playing three, four versus four, three. And last year, Mac was a linebacker. This year, he had enough plays in the preseason, and overall, with what they saw, three four to four three, that they've listed him now as a defensive end. So, it's I think it's a good it's a good move. We like getting him back from the dark side when it's you know when that happens. I, I think that's a major score for people to have him in their uh, either in their defense dynasty leagues or uh, even just in regular uh, redraft leagues too. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I almost pulled the trigger on him in a draft that I was doing for the Huddle, the expert IDP league that we run. And he had not had the designation changed yet, but I knew it was coming. Um, I know the guy that does it. I watch him on Twitter very closely. So I knew, I had a feeling, strong feeling that it was going to happen. I decided to take two linebackers back to back, two top five linebackers back to back, thinking, I think Mack will slide. Well, I was picking number one, so I'm on the ends. He didn't make it to me, and I, I was, I've been chasing my tail at defensive end ever since now. Well, obviously, uh, his position change will uh, affect kind of the positional battles of the other players out there on their NFL team. But I think one thing we really need to look at right now uh, as teams are coming up on their draft days are, are there some positional battles in the NFL right now that uh, – we really don't know what's going on there. Well, um, we had two segments we were going to do. We wanted to talk about injured players and 
We were going to talk about, I guess, our little fantasy forecast, and we'll talk about whether or not situations are cloudy or clear. So if you want, we can do cloudy and clear first. Let's do that. I'll tell you what. I'll throw them at you, and then we'll go from there. How's that? You know, uh, I've been known to be a bit of a fantasy prognosticator. Uh, I've also been known to... uh, A lot of people tell me, uh, they ask me questions about... uh, uh, is it raining yet? That's mainly because I'm a fairly tall individual, so <laughs> I can feel the rain before many other people can. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll throw it to you. You'll give us your view, and then I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. I like that. All right. Let's start off with a backfield that has a guy that probably shouldn't even be listed as a running back in it. Um, let's go to Detroit, and let's talk about the split that we're going to see there with Amir Abdullah and Theo Riddick at all it is a really interesting setup there because if you think back 365 days ago pretty much everyone in the fantasy industry was telling you to go draft amir abdullah and take him in the second or third or fourth round at the latest because he was this incredible combination talent of all these various skill sets and his preseason work last year showcased that he had the ability to be a superstar not just on the gridiron, but also in the fantasy world. So a lot of people invested high draft picks in Abdullah last year, and he promptly did squat. Uh, This year now, the excitement level over Abdullah is basically the exact opposite. He's he's falling into the ninth and 10th rounds. Uh, Overall, I believe his ADP is running back 33, which is uh, borderline third running back in in 12-team leagues. Uh, not super exciting. And the, uh, the other guy uh, there in, in the main pass catching back in Detroit is Theo Riddick. Uh, he had a huge season, particularly in PPR formats last year. And realistically, with the a new offense put in place there, a full season under the belt for uh, Mr. Cooter, uh, along with Matt Stafford throwing the ball, I think we're going to see even more passing this year. And what that's going to mean is less time on the field for Abdullah, more time on the field for Riddick, and Frankly, even when we get down near the goal line, we're not going to see Abdullah on the field. It's probably going to be second-year running back Zach Zenner getting the goal line touches. Uh, So are you saying it's cloudy or clear? It is extremely cloudy, but that's only if you're referring to Abdullah. It's clear if you're investing a PPR pick in Theo Riddick, and Theo Riddick is the player you should be targeting in that offense. I think that I agree with you, but I disagree with how you just labeled it. I think it's actually a clear situation. And I think it's it's really, it shows off the way the NFL is nowadays. Everybody has a role, especially at running back. And I think that Abdullah's role is very defined. I don't think we have to worry about what touches he's going to get, etc. We know he's going to be a two-down guy. I see a little bit of third-down work, um, not as much. Theo is going to be, of course, hugely involved as a third down passing back. Not going to run the ball much. Not going to see him going between tackles. So I think it's very clear what we have here. Where, What I like also is a lesson that can be learned from this. is I actually think we see Abdullah bounce back some. I think that what we had a lot of people get was the way they are with Dak right now. We'll touch on that a little bit later too. Where they let one or two flash plays in the preseason um, make them form their overall opinion. My concern for Abdullah in the running game this year isn't the opportunity that he has or the lack of the opportunity that he has. It's that offensive line a little bit. That concerns me. So 
But I think it's a clear situation. I think that Abdullah is going to be a solid back that gives you roughly about the return on your investment that you put into him. There's not much upside. That's the only thing. You've convinced me on that one. I agree with you there. Okay. How about another one? We'll go to an old chiseled vet and a guy that it seemed like the team wanted to do everything they could to find a replacement for him. Let's go down to Miami and talk about Arian Foster and Jay Ajahi. Well, if you had asked me two weeks ago, I would have said the answer to this question is clear because it seemed they brought in Arian Foster to be the bell cow. Uh, last year, Jay Ajayi really did nothing to establish that he was capable of being the every down back. Now, obviously, they let Lamar Miller walk this year, but when they did, it wasn't like they just handed the job to Ajayi. They went out actively looking for players. They had several people in there for camp tryouts that they didn't sign or, or cut, uh, not, not cut, but didn't sign or didn't uh, even give a real chance to. Now, the last two weeks of the preseason here, we're seeing a bit of a more even split in terms of the touches, both in practice and in the two games they've played. Now, Foster, again, he's a veteran. He doesn't have to play a lot of snaps in the preseason. Uh, but with his health question marks, they're going to be forced to really like take it easy on him, I think, early on, if they intend to have him last the entire season. And I think they want that to happen because they have a chance to be a fairly ineffective offense this year. So... I think it's it's getting cloudier uh, as we approach the uh, season, but uh, it's definitely not as clear as it was two weeks ago. I'm going to disagree with you. I think it's a clear situation. I really don't think anything has changed. I think that Foster will be the back that's the lead horse, but he's not going to be a 300 carry back. That, that Those days are gone. Ajahe's got a role. It will not be theoretic-like, and he'll spell Foster occasionally, but... Foster's the lead guy until the wheels fall off. And who's the lead man after that? At that point, it doesn't matter for that offense. Exactly. So that's what I say. And I think that Foster's actually going to return decent value for the people that get him because he still he didn't move up the boards much even after he showed that he was healthy and that they were committing to him. Um, his ADP was probably overly inflated when he first signed. But then it never backed down, and it never really went up. It kind of just stabilized right there. And I think that initially I think it was too high, and now I think it's too low. So it's probably right where it should have been all along anyway. Um, but that's what I think. We can get Arian Foster still in round seven, round eight range yeah. in a lot of drafts. And, again, that's great value for a guy who will be the starter at the start of the season. And again, if you draft him, you're not drafting him as your first running back or your second running back even. You're drafting him as your third or fourth guy. And hopefully he can plug the holes for you on your bye weeks. And you want, No, I'm going to tell you what. He's not even going to make it. If I own him, he's probably not making it to my bye weeks. Because if he gets out of the gate fast, I, he's somebody I'll be quick to sell. I, I hear you on that one. I'm totally with you there. So, And again, I think that would be the right thing to do. Oh, let's go out west. You know what? This one makes me miss one of our... Um, Former members of our gang, Mr. Easy E. I guess I need to reach out and see if he wants to join us again this year. But what's Latavius, what's his situation look like out there in Oaktown? Well, according to what I read uh, today, the situation is clear for Latavius. Uh, all preseason, we've uh, heard lots of fancy prognosticators talking about how Latavius doesn't have the talent to get done 
that he had issues last year accumulating average yards per carry. But the fact of the matter is, even with the disappointing numbers he was producing, he got a ton of touches, both in the rushing and passing attacks. Now, they brought in DeAndre Washington, the rookie running back uh, this year, to potentially give him some battle time. But if you read the, uh, the coach speak today, it sure sounds like their intention is to have Latavius be the bell cow back from day one until he proves that he doesn't deserve it. So I would say it's clear. I think it's clear also. Uh, bell cow's tough for me to use nowadays because bell cow for me is 325 plus carries. We don't have that anymore. But I guess I'm using he's the, the, lead uh, dog. the designation that he would be yeah, he's the a lead three dog. down back. Yeah, he's lead dog. I, you know what? I don't have any shares of him this year, and I don't know why, other than I just, for some reason, I don't feel that the upside's there. But I believe that you're right. It's a clear situation. Um, here's one that might be a little more um, murkier than I think maybe many would have thought if I told him, hey, a week before we get, or, you know, right before we go to the week four of the preseason game, we're going to talk about this duo, and we're not sure if it's cloudy or clear. Mr. Henry and Mr. Murray in Tennessee. Well, it's really amazing to think that uh, when they went out and got DeMarco Murray, that he wasn't going to be the lead guy, and they had every intention of drafting Derrick Henry. Now, whether or not they intended to draft Henry or not, we don't really know, or if he just fell so far that they had to take him. But Murray has looked like an absolute beast this preseason. He's scored... He's averaging over eight yards per carry right now against first-team defenses. So you look at that and you think there's no way that there could be any clear question as to Murray being the number one guy. But then you look at Derrick Henry, and he's been an absolute beast this preseason too. So at the very least, the situation still feels cloudy to me and that I think Derrick Henry will vulture some of the goal line work from Murray. Murray's touchdown wasn't from the goal line range. It was from a little further out. They scored this preseason. But both of them will be worthy starters in this exotic smash-mouth offense that they put together. See, and that's why I'm going to say I agree, but I disagree. I think it's clear. They both have a role. And the thing is, what's cloudy is that people were expecting Murray to have a bigger role. I don't think it's going to be huge. I think it is going to be close to a... 50-50, type split. Um, and, you know, the, the Titans are a young and up-and-coming team. So Henry's the future, that's for sure. But they both have value this year. Well, and I think people can still get a good value out of both of these players. Uh, DeMarco Murray, uh, his draft position is down, mainly because of the incredibly horrible situation he found himself in last year running in Philadelphia. So... You can get Murray fairly late in your drafts or even the discount price in your auctions based solely on his numbers from last season. But don't overlook him because he's a type of guy who could produce great numbers. He's a capable pass catcher, so it's not like they're going to take him out on third downs for that reason. The only real like threat, I think, is what his role will be inside the five. Hey, have you noticed that we've only talked about running backs? Isn't this the year of the wide receiver? It is. Uh, then we don't need to talk about them because they're all rostered. I, I think so. I mean, you've got wide receiver question marks, I suppose, in some places. Like, uh, uh, who's going to be the number two wide receiver in San Francisco? <laughs> doesn't or, matter. Or, or, what, what did the Rocks say? It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Anyways. Okay, what about Pittsburgh? Let's throw a wide receiver group in there. What about Marcus oh. Wheat and Sammy Coates? Sammy Coates was a darling 
in the community um, raging up the draft boards initially? You know, I actually wasted a sixth round pick on him in a very, very early league draft uh, this uh, late spring. Okay, and we can stop talking about him then. We're not going to get anything unbiased from you. Look, the guy saw like one target, I think, all preseason, right? Well, he uh, played in one preseason game, and he was targeted four times. In that game, he dropped his one pass that was close to him. Uh, he did catch another pass that he immediately fumbled. Uh, later in that game, uh, he ended up trying to pick up a fumble and fumbled it himself. And uh, it was just a series of, like, what's the absolute worst possible thing that he can do? It sounds like this might have been a fumble using them as a as a clear and cloudy look ahead. So uh, I think what happened was his value shot up so high so fast because everyone saw this freakish athlete stepping into Martavis Bryant's role and no one really looked at what he could actually do. And he showed in this most recent preseason game that he does have the ability to go up and make some fantabulous catches he did get the long touchdown this week. So, you know, I don't think he's going to beat out Marcus Wheaton. A lot of people forget about Marcus Wheaton. Last year, he had to play a few games with injuries, uh, both to Bryant and to Brown. And uh, when he did, he actually was pretty good. And Roethlisberger seemed to like looking his way. You know what? Here's how I look at it. I think it's clear. I think it's clear that it doesn't matter what Pittsburgh Steeler wide receiver you own if he's not named Antonio Brown. That is the clearest answer of the day, Steve. Okay. So with that, I was going to say, hey, let's talk about a tight end situation, but we're not going to talk about Austin Hooper and Jacob Tammy. Um, because if I thought you were going to talk about Austin Safarian Jenkins and Cameron Brait. No, nah, we're not going to go there either. Um, I know you've got Tampa Bay fans. Uh, that's true. No, I think we need to talk about the impact of preseason injuries. I mean, because there's no way we can't not talk about Tony Romo and injury he sustained, the door that it's opening for Mr. Dak. It's, uh, it's amazing how much a hype machine can blow up in just basically hours, where a lot of people went to bed Friday night thinking that Tony Romo would be just fine, and uh, he'd come back and everything would be clean, and he'd, he'd be playing in week one, and there wouldn't be any controversy at all. Now, fast forward seven and a half hours later, and the Twitter feed is filled with, Tony Romo, uh, broken vertebrae, may miss all year, may have to retire, may do this, may do that. The, the end fallout is that he's going to miss at least six weeks. I just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, I think that we may have seen the last of Romo, and that's not because of how Dak has played this preseason. I think that Cowboy fans and fantasy football fans in general need to take a step back breathe and you know realize that you might just have your expectations set a little bit too high to be putting Zach and Canton all, Dak and Canton already he's had a great preseason but i think that this is what's important cuz i've seen on my twitter timeline people say well you you have to say that he's going to be a, you know do great cuz he was drafted well after you know Jared Goff who was the number one quarterback he's had a horrible preseason if preseason's so easy how come and I think there's more to it. One, we don't know how much of the playbook Dak was given versus Goff. The other thing, and this is more important to me, how much pressure do you think there was on Dak coming in and playing in the preseason 
okay, knowing he has a Tony Romo in front of him, his time's going to come. He's not expecting it to be this year, right? Versus, you have to assume that, yeah. Versus Jared Goff, who, guess what, man? We're moving into a new town, and you are our savior. He, he was targeted to be the face of the L.A. franchise, yeah. and now it looks like he, he might end up being third string there, and uh, there's a fair good chance that he might not play very much at all this year. And, and that's neither here nor there. The point that I'm making, though, is you can't judge just based on the preseason, and you can't judge, him, judge somebody based on their play, not how their play is different than somebody else's play, even if it's the same position, because there are a multitude of circumstances that surround those things. And I'm sorry, I just, I'm a guy that I really think that not everybody acts the same under pressure and not everybody's always under the same amount of pressure. So well, I think the, uh, the big thing to think about though, with the, with Dak being the starter is a, how short of a leash will he have? And will uh, Jerry Jones bring in someone else, be a Sanchez or uh, another veteran backup to potentially take some of the stress off of Prescott? Now, on top of that, I, th- I think one of the big question marks we need to discuss here is Dak playing. What does that do to Ezekiel Elliott's value? What does that do to Des Bryant and Terrence Williams' value? And Jason Witten, too. Well, here's how I've looked at it from day one. And this was before Romo even got hurt. I was concerned with regards to the Dallas skill players, not because of Dez's talent or Zeke's talent, but because that defense scares the hell out of me. And I just don't think that they're going to be able to commit to the run the way they need to to make that offense work. And this is another concern I have for Dak. Nobody game planned for him in the preseason. You know what I mean? What's going to happen when defenses are game planning to stop him or to stop Ezekiel Elliott and the running game and forcing Zach, Dak, like you call him Zach, forcing Dak to do something. So you put bracket coverage or double coverage on Dez and take Dez away. So now what's he have to do? Now you make him work through his progressions. And that's where I think, hey, take a step back and take a deep breath because don't just assume he's going to perform at the rate that he performed in the preseason. I'm not saying he can't perform well, but understand, there's a difference, and I definitely think that we'll see it. Well, we did see some success last year with a rushing quarterback uh, as a rookie stepping into a starting role uh, with uh, Mariota. So there's a chance that uh, we, we could see some talent come out of this with uh, Dak Prescott. And who knows? Maybe uh, this is the Tom Brady takeover role. Uh, who, who did he replace uh, 10 years ago? I can never remember. Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe. Thank you. Maybe this is the moment where Dak uh, puts Tony Romo on the uh, back burner. Okay, so now here's we'll, we'll make this back to a fantasy question and just a simple yes or no. Are you drafting Zach, Dak as a fantasy quarterback? I think I would actually take Dak as a quarterback too. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, you need to waste a high pick on him. I think that he may go overdrafted because of the injury. Uh, but if you can get him near the end of your draft, say in round 16, 17, or 18, uh, he has the upside of some of the upside quarterbacks I'm looking at at that point, like Robert Griffin III or even uh, Paxton Lynch. Okay. So just so our listeners know, we are now into overtime since we are past our 30-minute time um, that we try to keep the show within, but we're going to keep going. 
another injury, or I should say injuries, and we should talk about how it's going to impact some fantasy prospects, would be the Colts' offensive line. Yeah, we've got a couple of players missing there. And I, I think that's you've seen in the first couple games that uh, Andrew Luck looked a little shaky back there because he's just not getting the time when he's been on the field. And uh, obviously they don't have a great running game to start with, but if they can't get the pass protection up, the Colts season could turn longer than a lot of people think that they would be. Yeah, I think that Luck's still going to get his, but definitely I'm not looking for anything out of Frank Gore this year. I mean, they kicked the tires on Steven Ridley also, or they're kicking the tires on Ridley. Um, the OL, what it'll do is, I think it's just going to force Luck to where he's going to have to try and do more than he should, like he did last year and has done in the past, and it's going to probably keep his picks high and turnovers high. But I still think the yardage and the touchdowns will be there to make guys like Dante Moncrief and T.Y. Hilton fantasy viable. I'm going to make a deep dive here and suggest that because of the fact that he might not have as much time with it, with a re- retooled offensive line, that may actually increase the value of Moncrief, who probably is going to be more of the possession guy. And you know, Hilton is known to stretch the field, so... He may not have the time to drop the deep ball to Hilton, which might mean an uptick in value for Moncrief. That's okay, because I'm big on Moncrief this year. I think he's a top 10 wide receiver when all said and done for us for fantasy purposes. Um, he certainly had good rapport with Luck last year before the injury. Yeah, And I, I should say this. I mean, I bag on the Cowboys offense and what I think how much the defense is going to hurt it. But that's because the Cowboys offense is predicated on the run. I believe that the Colts defense is pretty much as heinous as the Cowboys, um, especially with Bonte Davis um, being injured. So you go, well, what's that going to do to the Colts offense? Well, the thing is the Colts weren't going to run the ball that much anyway, so they're still going to have to chuck it up, and I think that there's plenty of you know, points to be had for Mr. Luck there. Well, you mentioned an offensive line that's got some injuries, and I think that another team we can look at in that same situation is Houston right now, where mm-hmm. they're going to be without their center and uh, their – one of their offensive guards, uh, for at least uh, the guard is out for the season. Center, I don't believe, is out all year, but he's going to be out to start the year at least. Yeah, that actually made me – I was pretty high on Lamar Miller. It did make me back off a little. Not enough that I'm, I'm saying I'm not drafting him you know, until around three or four. I just wouldn't be drafting him as happily when he came to me because um, I do think that that could impact him in a negative way, especially early in the season. And again, Lamar Miller has got all the opportunity in the world here. The truth is, though, Lamar Miller has never really done it for a full season. He's never been a superstar running back. So That's that stupid Miami leadership. They didn't know how to use him. I know one of my, uh, one of my cohorts uh, uh, with uh, LeagueSafe uh, does some uh, talking about Lamar Miller big time on his site. Uh, Brian Johnson is a big fan of uh, Lamar Miller, even suggesting he would take him as the first overall running back. I think with the news with the offensive line there, definitely he's not going to be your first overall running back, and I've got him sliding down to about seven or eight on my list now. Okay. So I've got a few more guys we can talk about, um, some not as lengthy, but at least we should mention them. Um, we can say Jordan Matthews is finally back at practice, which is positive. He is back at practice. Uh, he still doesn't have a ton of talent, and he doesn't have a ton of talent around him, I'm afraid, though, so... I I don't like that offense at all this year, and I'm avoiding pretty much every element of it. I I avoided him in that offense also, and I'll tell you what was most shocking to me is his ADP didn't really fluctuate based on the fact that nobody knew if he was going to be ready for week one or not. I will say this. uh, In the preseason week three game, 
Sam Bradford looked adequate. He completed uh, it's like 17 out of 19 passes for 160 yards and a score. So, I mean, maybe we're writing Bradford and that offense off too soon. I just don't want to invest too heavily in in a lot of question marks there. Yeah, I, it just it was bad last year, and I still have that that bad taste in my mouth. So, um, another guy, another receiver that is dealing with some issues and I think is falling a little bit because of it. And also I think pushing somebody else a little higher up my draft board anyway, John Brown in Arizona dealing with concussion. He's got concussions. Uh, there is somehow he's picked up the nickname Smokey Brown. I'm not quite sure where that comes from, but maybe it's, he's got smoke in his head from uh, the concussion. But uh, uh, as it was, I wasn't drafting a lot of Cardinals players uh, just because I'm a little scared about Carson Palmer's injury potential. But if I am targeting a Cardinals receiver, uh, not having Brown on the field only makes my desire to have Michael Floyd that much higher. We're in agreement there. I like Floyd. I, I liked Brown based on you know the type of league you're in. He has his place. He's always going to be, I think, a little more boom and bust with what he adds. And Smokey could be because of the speed. That's true. Um, Now, if you want a deep dive, if you are a Brown owner or a Cardinals fan, unlike myself this year, you may want to look at a late, late round pick on either Jaron Brown or J.J. Nelson, either of whom could step into the Brown role week one. And as we shown last year, that third receiver in the Cardinals offense has a chance for some big production. Yeah. Now, another guy suffering from concussion, and he's one of my... I'm not drafting anybody from that team um, syndromes. Carlos Hyde. It's funny you bring that up and say you're not drafting anyone from that team because I'm pretty sure that I have Carlos Hyde on about 16 rosters right now. And I've been taking Carlos Hyde as my third running back in a lot of leagues because simply he's falling because he's a 49er. That said, there isn't a lot of competition behind him. Sean Drown last year looked okay filling in for him, but Drown is not at all exciting to anyone. He's hurt himself right now. So if by chance they both miss the start of the season, we'll be looking at Mike Davis as the uh, number one running back there. And uh, again, that's not a situation you want to employ uh, if you think you're going to have a chance of winning week one. Here's what I'm going to tell you, and my memory isn't always the best. But do you remember Kevin Barlow? And that's more rhetorical than anything. Uh, Kevin or Kevon? I always yeah. thought it was Kevon. Kevon, Kevin. You know who I mean. Yes. He had all the talent. I forget who he was behind for a couple of years. And then it was time for him to get his shot. Probably Frank Gore. It might have been, actually. God, that's sad. No, it, it was well before Gore. We need Eon here to, to verify that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Barlow sat and you know, it was a complimentary piece for a few years, whatever. And then he finally got his shot, and San Francisco sucked. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel like with Hyde. There's value there but we're never going to see it materialize to what everybody thought was possibly going to be there with the talent that he has. Well, and either way, they're going to be starting either Kaepernick or Blaine Gabbert or uh, God fear us all Christian Ponder manages to weasel his way into the starting role. But uh, Gabbert looked okay at times last year. I, I think that that offense, the line has got to be better than last year. Uh, the receivers, Torrey Smith, looks uh, like he's ready to be a factor to some degree. I, I don't mind it so much. That's okay. I don't mind it either. And I like the sound effects. 
I don't know what that was. Is my TV all of a sudden just turned itself on? I think uh, I've got DVR set up for wrestling tonight. I was hoping to catch some uh, glimpses maybe of EY on TV, and uh, all of a sudden it just turned on and the sound started. That's okay. People should have saw your face when that happened because I was just I like, was shocked. I don't I'm, know what I'm, that like, was. It doesn't I looked matter. up and I'm like, the TV is going. It's a, it doesn't matter. We're not stopping. We're going through this thing. Well, look, let's do this. Let's finish up with two more guys. They're both tight ends. Um, one with really bad news and the other with concerning news. Let's do bad news first. Ben Watson. Yeah, it, that was a, a really painful thing. Anyone that saw the footage knows that it's uh, likely a career-ending injury for Mr. Watson. And uh, unfortunately, it, it does help kind of clear up the tight end picture a little bit in Baltimore. Uh, it was originally a three-headed monster that was not at all clear. But uh, I mean, Crockett Gilmore did some stuff last year. But they spent a third-round pick on Minnesota tight end uh, Max Williams uh, coming out last year. And there really was an intention that Williams would develop into their starting tight end. He has the skills. Again, I, I watched him play at Minnesota. Uh, incredible athlete, big, strong, kind of the Gates, Antonio Gates build. Given the opportunity as the starter this year, and I think he wins that role, he's going to be a very productive member of that offense. Yeah, I'm steering away from that that situation at tight end. They've got like 75 of them on their roster. I think three of them or two of them are healthy. I think they still have Dennis Pitta on their roster too. They do. Um, and now let's finish up with a very highly – rated and ranked and a guy that's got a lot of expectation for this year in Cincinnati, Mr. Eifert. Uh, again, just crazy critical news with Eifert this week. A lot of people thought that he was a good chance to be ready to play week one. And e- even just two weeks ago, the consensus among fantasy crowds was he wasn't going to miss more than one or two weeks at the most. Then we get the news that He's just now jogging. He's not even approaching a full run yet. Uh, It's guaranteed that he won't play the first four weeks. There's a very good chance that his rehab will start by week four, in which case he probably won't play into week six, maybe even week seven. Now, uh, that's uh, that's scary news for a tight end that could produce tight end, uh, will produce tight end one numbers. But I would argue say if he was healthy, he would probably be the fourth tight end off the board in most drafts. Yeah, and I'm somebody that drafted him. Um, knew he was injured, but still liked the upside and thought he was worth the risk. The other day, I had a draft going on, and I was like so close to being on the clock, and I was like, please hurry up, please hurry up, because there was a guy in my queue that I wanted before the games kicked off the other night, and that was Jared Cook. So Cook then, of course, had a good game, and all of a sudden, he's on fantasy radars now. Um, I did get him before the game, so I was happy about that. And it's the same league I have Eifert in. So if you do have Eifert and you're looking for somebody that you might be able to still snag, if Cook's available, I think he's a viable option worth looking at. Well, and I think a few people even looked at uh, possibly taking Tyler Eifert's backup, Tyler Croft, who looked pretty good last year filling in for Eifert. But now Croft is also injured, which strangely enough opens up a few receptions in that Bengals offense for a third Tyler, Tyler Boyd who I think is slowly climbing up the draft charts now, even though he may lose the second wide receiver job to Brandon LaFell. I think the lack of presence of Eifert and Croft at the start of the year could mean productive numbers for Boyd right out of the shoot too. And it should help Mr. Gio Bernard a little bit too. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to make that a wrap. You happy with the show? I am happy with the show. we got a lot of great content out there for our listeners. I think that people just need to remember going, going in, don't, don't overhype these players. Don't 
draft a player just because you're, you're thinking he's going to be the next coming. And also, if a player's hurt, you can still draft them. Just make sure that you uh, appropriately knock them down a few points on your on your draft list because they're going to miss some time. And missing time only means that they're not going to get you points. Yep. So I'll tell you what, if you want some more from Harley before we're back on, feel free to check him out on Twitter at New Clear Harley. That's N E W C L E A R H A R L E Y. New Clear Harley. And then you can check me out at Steve Gallo NFL. And be sure to do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. And as always, get blitzed responsibly. Cheers. Cheers.